Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Robert Wynn, eight years of career experience, currently an engineer with Cal Fire assigned to the Merced County Division, creator and owner of Change the CDF, which stands for Culture, Department, and Future. If you haven't heard of Robert, I implore you to please, please, please listen to his episode on John Spears' Fit to Fight Fire and Corley Moore's Weekly Scrap where he breaks down his journey of his past to the individual he is today. All I'm going to say about this episode is truth bombs and nuggets were dropped, and it was a fantastic conversation. With that, I present Mr. Robert Wynn. My name is Robert Wynn. I'm 34 years old, and I work for Cal Fire in California. We are the state's fire department. Danny, thank you so much for having me. It's a great opportunity. Super humbled to be on your show. I'm ready to dive into it. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I appreciate you coming on in. Uh, hopefully that, hopefully, you know, our conversation will spark other conversations beyond this. Like hopefully at the kitchen table, at the firehouse, in the bay, things of that nature. Um, so my, my, my first question with you is I have heard you on several podcasts and I know you're eight years into the fire service, correct? Yes, sir. But it, it feels like you've got like 20 to 25 years on the job because of how, even though it's a short time you've been in, you see things that like a, a seasoned uh, senior man would, 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 would know. So my first topic to you is leadership and communication with that. How paramount is that to you for a department to be successful? Well, leadership is probably one of the most controversial topics to be talked about in the fire service. And truthfully, a lot of my leadership and my perspective comes from just being a responsible human being, being that father figure that my children need, being a good husband to my wife. So leadership to me starts with the individual at home. Like, how are you leading yourself? How are you leading the individuals that are closest to you? We're human and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and children before we were ever a fireman. And I think that, you know, my perspective of, of leadership, a lot of that had to do with the lack of leadership that I had um, when I was really, really, really young growing up. And that's something that I never wanted for my wife and my children come from a broken home, come from individuals that struggle with a lot of different things. And I didn't think that that was leadership. I have been chewing on something for quite some time about leadership. And just from my own life experiences, I've really started thinking that, well, do we have bad leadership? And I don't think that we do. I think that we don't have a leadership problem. We just have a people problem. The definition of leadership doesn't change. You can't change the definition of what leadership is in the dictionary. If that was the case, there would be millions of different um, definitions of leadership. So I look, really look at and I try to really balance my both my personal and my professional life. But I do the best that I can to try to be the same person personally and professionally, meaning the same intimacy that I have 
with my wife and children, with sitting down with them, really understanding their behaviors, really understand what they're struggling with, really understanding the things that make them happy, that make them excited, that, that really encourage them. You know, I have to dive into those things as a father and as a husband in order to really bring the best out of them, in order to really bring the best out of me and ultimately really try to create the best family environment that I can. So leadership has a lot to do with environment and what type of environment that you're in. Humans learn in different ways. They learn from what they're told. They learn from what they see and they learn from what they feel. So I know I'm kind of going down a little rabbit hole, nope. but a lot of these things yeah. I had learned from some of the most traumatic and overwhelming experiences and environments that I've been in throughout my life. So I know that if they affected me a certain way, that if I was neglected from people that I love and cared about, or that said that they love and cared about me, uh, then why would I want that for my children? And to take it a step further is why would I want that for the people that I work alongside, the people that I work with and the people that I, that I work for? I don't want an environment that makes them feel a certain way. So bringing it back to leadership, when I am around individuals that I may be in supervising people that I work alongside with, and I'm a huge component of, of leading up into the people that I work for with helping create an environment that is healthy for everybody in the fire service. If you don't have an environment that is or creates an experience for somebody that doesn't make them feel happy, that doesn't make them feel excited, that doesn't make them feel a part of, that they can completely be vulnerable and transparent in that environment, then it's not going to be a healthy or encouraging environment for anybody to work in. So that's kind of where I look at my leadership perspective is really what hasn't worked before in my personal life. And what do I want for my family and how can I lead them there? Because it's no different than the people that I serve with and the people that I, I serve in my community. What type of leader do they need, both personal and professionally, in the fire service and in society? Like, I want to be the best that I can be. Okay. Okay. I, I, I definitely understand that. And I also want to take it, I also want to kind of add to your message of, I understand this leaders, you know, th there's only one term, but I feel like we have certain individuals in that position. They're good people, but when it comes to being a leader, making those hard decisions, hard choices, they can't do it, but yet they're in that position, you know, cause like, like, for example, if a chief needs to change a policy or a rule, that's not going to be the majority of the department won't be in favor for it, but he has to get it done you're looked at as the bad guy, but that comes with being a leader. You can't please everybody. You have to make the best decision for the department as a whole, for the community that we, that we swore to protect. You, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like 100%. It, it's, I feel like that's where the issue is. Like they're good people, but they're just not made for that role. They cannot fill those shoes in that position. You know, that's a, that's a really great point that you, that you bring up. And, um, there were, there were some things that have transpired throughout my career. Uh, and some of them have happened, you know, recently where certain things that have happened with different assembly members and different 
council members in different incorporated cities and contracts. And when you're in that position, you know, it's, it's, I think it's easy for, I do it all the time. Like, well, if I was there, this is, this is how I would fall on the sword, or this is, this is how I would react. Like, there's no way that I can, you know, look that way or any of those things. And I think some of the more important things that I've been able to learn by being in the front row with seeing individuals that are in that place, I think it just really comes down to relationships and the way that we communicate within them in those relationships. If this individual that is in that place that has had the experience, the time on the job, maybe is a really great mentor in society and a really great, you know, husband or father, or even, even woman, a mother, um, what type of relationships have they built in that time frame that got them to the position that they are at? Meaning my, my goal is that when, when I do decide to promote to a fire captain and battalion chief, and if I go farther than that, what type of relationships am I building now with the community, with these stakeholders, with these council members, with the members of this department for when I get to that position, nobody ever, ever questions or doubts and doesn't get behind the mission, the vision that I have, I have for the fire department in, in that role. I mean, you're talking about staffing, you're talking about policy, you're talking about response areas, you're talking about a whole bunch of different things that this person has um, financially responsible with a budget and taxpayers money. I think it's important for the relationships that you build throughout your career from day one of taking that oath to being a, a assistant chief or division chief, or even a fire chief of a department, fire commissioner, any of those roles, the relationships that you have built prior to that is going to play a big role into the decisions and choices and really the encouragement and confidence that you have in yourself to be able to make those tough decisions. Being exposed to tough decisions throughout your career and in your personal life and learning from those things also play a huge role in being able to, you know, stand up and, and do what you need to do with being in that position. Okay. No, well, <laughs> well said, well said, man. <laughs> well said a hundred percent. My next topic for you is recruitment and retention. Departments across the country are struggling. Certain ones, certain ones are still doing pretty well, even though they, they'll probably say their numbers are down, but still doing pretty well. What do you feel like departments can do Besides what I call, you know, a lot of them are going to the, to like these flyers that show the uh, the compensation, which is great. I mean, we all know we didn't get into the fire service for money, but certain places of the country do pay a lot better than other areas. Granted, the cost of living could be higher and so forth, but, you know, they had the benefits, the package, the smoothbore nozzles, low hose beds, aggressive tactics. What What do you think? could help or could boost recruitment and retention. So as, as you were saying that uh, I had, there was a thought that came into my mind and, and I want to kind of touch on that because it just, my mind never stops. So you triggered something and it, it comes back to the compensation that was on the flyer. So one thing that I want to highlight is, is that I know that we all haven't got into the fire service for money. Everybody, I, I can't say that every, I can't say 100% of people. Right, right, right. Um, but I do know that there 
majority of the fire service is truly, truly wanting to serve in any capacity that they can for those people uh, in their communities. Now, for example, LeBron James, NBA basketball player, right? Do you think that because LeBron James is LeBron James, he has true love and passion for the game. Do you think that he's going to say, oh, I'll, I'll just work for the lowest minimum compensation because I love the game? And what, what triggered in my mind was that every individual person in a fire service should be striving to be the very best that they can be to where we are, we are professional athletes in, in that capacity is that I have put so much time into wanting to be the very best that I can be just like every single professional af athlete that gets these ridiculous contracts to be able to serve my team and those around me and win championships, man, that's what we get to do every single day. Like any day can be our Super Bowl. I think Ray McCormick had a post on Facebook the other day. It was like Super Bowl football is played one day a year. He was like, our Super Bowl can come any day of the year. And so one thing I do want to highlight with that is, is if you put yourself in a position to be the very best that you can be, then you should look at yourself and understand that there are departments out there that will pay for that expertise that, that want that. None of us should be striving just to be mediocre, to, to be paid mediocre or any of those things. I'm under the mindset that that service costs money, doesn't matter which service it is, and the service that I want to give to my community and the, the department that I work for is that at no time that the public will ever want any other fire department representing their community or any other uh, individuals or mindset or tactics or policies serving their community. And I know that kind of went away from the recruitment and retention, but all of us should be striving like we're trying to get that multi-million dollar contract. What's going to separate me from the next person? However, we want to ensure like those good professional athletes, they make the people around them better. Now to bring it to the fire service regarding recruitment and retention, the truth of the matter is, is that we're just not attractive. We are failing in a capacity of being attractive to a society that knows very little about what the fire service does, except the videos that every fire department posts about going to fires. That's a small component of our job. So when we look at the generational transition that's taking place with the fire service, how can we make it attractive? I know for me, it may be different than somebody who's getting into the fire service now. When I got into when I was a little kid, like I was two blocks, three blocks away from the fire station, station 17 in Sacramento, you know, these, these, these people ran jobs in my neighborhood. It seemed like every other day, these guys were driving by. I love the sirens. I love what they did. I went to the fire station and it was something that I was attracted to. But now I think that we have to really understand the type of society that we're dealing with. And I think it's more of a, 
societal issue than it is a fire department issue. You look at any corporation or any business, everybody's struggling right now just to hire good people and people that understand that whatever you do as an individual, like nobody else gets to rewrite how you did that. Like you get to write that you're the author of your own book. So when it, when it comes to recruitment, we have to be able to find a way to make things sexy and attractive. Like there's, there's many of people that have thousands and thousands and millions of followers on social media, just for posting 10 or 15 second videos every single day. Like what are we doing wrong? Right. I think that a lot of it has to do with really not being involved and engaged with our communities the way that we need to be. Meaning I know for the department that I work for in the community that I work for, the recreation department within that city, it's only about 17,000 people. You know, they have a yearly calendar of every single event that's going on in the city. doesn't matter which church. It doesn't matter which school. It doesn't matter if it's 4th of July, sweet potato festival. It doesn't matter. It's on a calendar. So I've made it a point to, I want to go to as many of these events as I can and interact and engage with the public. I'm on duty. I'll take the fire engine. I'll be able to engage and then, uh, get to know the community that I serve, that's a form of recruitment. Like, oh, you guys get to do this? Here, let me kick the soccer ball around with these kids that are playing soccer. Let me throw the football around with these kids that are playing football. And when I get done playing with them, I'm going to transition over to their parents and say, hey, why don't you come by the fire station one day? You can eat lunch with us. You can eat dinner with us. Come see what we do. What do you know about your fire department? Oh, yeah, we can let your kids play with the water hoses. We can do this. Really getting back into serving our community other than the medical aids and the fires that we run. How do we do that? We are a pillar of society. Like we look at ourselves as role models. We look at ourselves as individuals that can lead people in times of, of, of stress and comfort people in, in times of sadness and so forth and so on. Well, why stop there? Like, why aren't we engaging these individuals at a, at a very early age and educating the public when we're out there at these different events? I think it's so important because it's just so many, so many layers of this. Like, how can we ask the community for more money or to raise a tax or to fund a special public safety tax if they have no idea who we are? And I'm not saying know me personally, but they need to know what that patch looks like. They need to know the services that we offer. For my department specifically, working in Merced County, it's a county department, mm-hmm. essentially. It's contracted through the state of California. And there's other county resources within that county, behavioral health, uh, like homeless shelter information, um, individuals on low income. Like We have a vast majority of these resources at our disposal that we can share with the community. We shouldn't just be there serving them when they call 911. We should be a vessel bringing them comfort, bringing them answers. Like that's our job, serving the fire service, not just medical aids, not just um, structure fires. And when we do that, it's like, oh, I didn't know you guys did that. Like that's something that I think that people would be attracted to because I believe that deep down inside, no matter who it is, they have, most people have uh, intentions to want to be something bigger than themselves that they want, they want to help other people. Now, yes, we need to know our job. We, we need to understand the skills that we are required uh, to do when 911 is called. 
But I can tell you right now, there's so much time in a day. It doesn't matter if you don't, if you make time for the things that are important, you'll get a huge return on your investment. If you just make the time as far as retention, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier with leadership, but also the environment, what type of environment are you fostering for your people? What type of encouragement, what type of team bonding exercises are you doing? Are you like bombarded in reports and pre-planning and training, which are all important, but at the same time, are you connecting with your individuals intimately? You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm an engineer right now uh, with desires, hopefully to be a captain within the next year. I'm really excited about that. And one thing that is always been at the front of my mind ever since I promoted to a company officer is how do I connect with the individuals that I serve? I just can't be that person that is, Hey, did you get this done? Hey, we got to do that. This is a priority or we need to go do that. Oh, let's train. Let's do this. I got to get to know these individuals. How's things going on at home? Oh, Hey, we're having a barbecue this weekend or, Hey, bring your family to the station. We're going to make sure that they get to know the people that you're working with as well. Get to see the community that you serve or whatever that case may be. But when you make an environment that people can be vulnerable and transparent in, and not feel that they're being belittled, not feel that they're not being valued, not feel that they're not being accepted or a part of like, man, you're not going to have a fire department. And if you do, it's going to be a toxic environment to where HR, they're going to need to hire more HR personnel than they are firefighters just to keep up with all the stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. And that kind of turns right back into uh, something that I had talked about with Corley was like, what type of traumas have we been exposed to? You know, there may be things that you went through as, uh, you know, a younger child, a teenager, young adult, or even professional issues that I'm going through now and I don't have the answers. I don't know which way to go. Uh, And somebody within my company or somebody that I work with, I'm sure has been through something very similar, has been through the same exact thing. How do I connect with that individual? How do I see that in somebody else? How do I know as a, as a company officer and a senior man, sometimes you don't, but if you're engaged with the, with your, with your people and you build intimate relationships with, with people like those things are going to come at you more than ever. And that's the same thing that I encourage from my wife and my kids. Like, I don't want my wife to hold on something for six or seven months because it's bothering her or I did something wrong. And then it finally comes out and things go crazy. Like, I don't want that for, my department either. So how can we, how can we create that? How can we talk about that? How can we, how can we make sure that people understand that it's okay to be transparent? It's okay to be vulnerable. And that will take care of the retention problem. We're pushing our own people out. No, I, I agree. I agree. We either have individuals who are leaving for other departments, you know, the, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I kind of relate to sports, you know, when, when, when a player gets traded, uh, sometimes it's not on behalf of the player, but sometimes a player demands to be traded. So they would be traded to a different department or we have people just leaving the service altogether, which is, which is terrible. And sometimes it's for personal reasons, but a lot of times it's just because either burnout, fatigue, tired of toxic environments, like we are hurting ourselves. And what you said was, was beautifully stated. You know, I think that, so Cal Fire is probably one of the only departments in the country. I'm not entirely sure, but we don't even, we work 72 hour shifts. So we, we work three days a week. So Cal Fire 
and our our union with legislation is is really working to to shorten that work week up. We just got approved for a 66 hour work week, which would drop us from 12 days a month to 11 days a month. Working for the state, uh, working for Cal Fire is a great department, great retirement, great benefits. I mean, you're a state employee. We don't get paid the highest at all. And our union is really working really strong to, to work on those things because I do, I do believe that some of it uh, contributes to retention. I mean, you can go right down the street and make $50,000 more, work three days less a month. Like that's a no brainer to a lot of people. Um, I think what's really, really important to, to keep in mind is that when our job demands so much from us, it, it's, it's inevitable. Like you're expected to show up no matter how you feel. As soon as you walk into that station to go on duty, doesn't matter how bad of a day you're having, how things are at home, if you're sick, whatever the case is, like you're expected to perform. Bottom line. And that standard should never change. I think that something to keep in mind is that when we as an individual don't deal with the things that we're exposed to on the, uh, the personal side of our lives and the professional side of our lives in a healthy way, then we wind up being that ticking time bomb to where we can't take it anymore. But if we don't deal with those root issues, like it doesn't matter if you demanded to be traded to another team or another department, if you don't deal with those things that led you to that point to begin with, it's going to happen again at that new department. So it's tough. It's, it's really, really tough fighting that good fight. It's really, really tough wanting to stay with the department and hoping that the change happens rather fast when you can essentially just go to a different department. Um, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you got to do what's right. The individual has to do what's right for them. You can't, don't let somebody else's thoughts or opinions affect you because at the end of the day, it's about you and your family or you and your significant other. So I, I, I totally hundred percent, hundred percent get that. But I, I do, I do think that there can be a, a healthy balance of both, not just for one or two departments spread out periodically across the country and the American fire service, you know, it's going to take some work. Like I think that the things that we're struggling with today are from decisions, choices, and things that have taken place many years ago. I mean, there's just in the last 20 years of the, of the American fire service, we've taken a, a, a tremendous turn on many different fronts. Now, you know, you go all the way back to the, the 1800s. It's like the fire service looked completely different than it does today. So from like that 50,000 foot elevation, we have to understand that the things that, that we want today, we want the shorter work weeks. We want better compensation. We want that balance between home and life or home and the fire station. Like those things, it, it, it takes a really long time for those changes to be made mm -hmm. because, you know, I read a quote one time that was, that has stuck with me forever. And it talks about like traditions and values in the fire service and, why they should never change. Well, if we always stood and were rooted in the traditions of the fire service, then all of us would still be utilizing the bucket brigade. So 
you know, there's parts of the fire service that people want traditions of the fire service that people want to change. And then there's traditions of the fire service that people don't want to change. Mm -hmm. You know, people want to be like, Oh, this is okay, but this is not like, I don't want to change that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that if we don't have a healthy outlook on change on every element on how we can make it better for the public, how we can make it better for our department, how we can make it better for our employees, how we can make it better for our families, then we're not doing any justice to the American fire service and the people that we serve. Like we, we have to be willing to say this tradition has been around 400 years. This policy has been around for a hundred years and say, it needs to change. Let's talk about it. I, I, I can't agree with you more. I mean, you know, the, the saying goes firemen hate two things change and the way things are. Yeah. Cause I, I remember hearing that when, when I was growing up and, I didn't quite get it, but now being in it for as long as I have, yeah, I, I totally understand. Like uh, schedules, um, how you want your trucks designed. Uh, hey, we're going to design a new patch. What do we want? This, that, and the other. Like we have to be open to discuss. And that's the thing. It's like when we try to discuss certain things, it automatically will get shut down. Because if if it, if it revolves around, like you said, change, we, we shut the person down. The person that came up with it is an idiot. Why are you doing this? If you don't like it, go somewhere else. Go to the place that, you know what I mean? Like, I've heard yeah. it all. And you're 100% right. It's, we we have to evolve as as time evolves. Like, we can't stay the same. If we're truly here to make it better, I mean, change is inevitable. And I agree with you 100%. I think that uh, the, the fire service, you know, 99% of the time we are reactive to everything. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just something that has kind of been embedded since the inception of the fire service with being reactive and trying to fix problems after they happen, mm -hmm. having more of a proactive approach in the fire service in certain elements of our departments is probably one of the biggest things that we fail at being able to be proactive and forecast what the next five, 10, 15, 20 years looks like is really important. Or we're going to be dealing with these things 20 years from now. From now. Right. Right. And Future generations. I shared this with Corley. I'm, I stand by this. Like, yes, I may be able to influence many people throughout my career. I may be able to change a few things at my department or in the fire service throughout my career if I'm lucky. But the decisions and choices that I make on the harder decisions, on the things that are really holding us back, are going to affect how the fire department responds to my great grandkids. That's important to me. That's important to me. We're struggling with the level of service that we give people now. I can only imagine what it's going to be like 20 to 30 years from now if we stay on the same road. And I know any parent out there that is in a fire service can look to their right or left and see people that they work with that they don't want responding to their home. Mm -hmm. So why would you want that standard, that culture, that environment, those type of people to respond to your great grandchildren. Like, man, that, 
I, I will never stop fighting for the American Fire Service to be better because my kids deserve the very best, period. No, uh, it's, uh, and I, you know, this will go correlate to, to my next topic because we're kind of segueing into it. But like you said, I mean, I was thinking about that to myself today. Uh, we can kind of, the example with the athlete, sports, teams pay athletes an absurd amount of money for a, not a product, but for their performance. They are expected to perform. Whether you're volunteer, part-time, career, it's the same job. We all go to the same type of calls, just on different levels. Your 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 jurisdiction, your region might look different. Tall buildings, wide buildings, short buildings, no buildings, small homes, mansions, whatever the case may be. We all do the same job, but yet we have areas and departments that will allow for mediocrity, will allow this person's a good person. Yeah, he can't meet the physical requirement of whatever the case may be at the time, but it's okay. It is not okay. And that's one thing. I, I kind of take it back to how you said firemen are reactive because I'm very humble enough. I used to be like that. I was a young, dumb, early kid who thought he knew it all. But as time goes on and I sit back and I watch things, I watch political affiliations on the news, how like people are just quick to judge instead of listening to what the individual is saying, processing it, digesting it, think about it and then state your case. If it doesn't meet your notion, I'm done with you. Like that's how society is now. You know, I, I feel like it is before I think the motto was uh, uh, innocent till proven guilty. I mm -hmm. truly believe it's now guilty till proven innocent. We are yeah. so quick to judge, whether it's a 30-second clip, an image, we hear say nobody wants to talk about whether it's good or bad, good or bad situations. We have to be able to talk. And to me, that correlates to company officers, chief officers. You're not always going to want to have to do things or listen to things that people have to deal with. Uh, the, the thing of, uh, I forgot who I was listening to. If an individual gets caught the first time with, hey, uh, you had a uh, a random test, you got popped that you're, you, you test positive for alcohol, whatever the case, substance abuse, whatever the case may be, we're quick to go, all right, you're done. There's no, what caused this? What happened? And I'm not making an excuse. I'm not saying it's right, but we say we're here for each other. We care, but yet we don't know of things going on in that person's life, which made him decide or her decide to go that route. And then we're just, we're just, we're quick to judge on and, and you're gone. That's it. So, you know, I, I dealt with, I dealt with a mindset for a short period of time when I was released from prison. I always thought what people were going to think about me. And I think people, I thought that people were going to judge me for my past. I thought that people were going to do, make, make things more difficult on me than I, I needed them to be. And with individuals that may get popped or e even as a company officer, I think that, Hey, I think one of my guys may be struggling with something, right? 
So let, let's rewind a little bit before that individual got popped for substance abuse or alcohol, showed up to work drunk, whatever. Um, if we have healthy relationships in the fire service with our communities, with the people that we work for, the people we work with, and the people that we supervise, we're going to be able to see these things coming a mile away. Right? We have allowed a culture to stay alive for so long that when we clip the cancer away in one area, it just makes the other area stronger. So the way that I'll bring it together is there's, there's for, for our department, we're a state agency and we're mandated by different controlling agencies, different state agencies and so forth and so on. We have several programs in place for individuals that are struggling with many things. You hit it really right on the head with what are we doing for people? Why aren't we taking care of our people the way that we need to? And the short answer to that, in my opinion, is because nobody knows how to take care of anybody. Meaning the person that got popped for substance abuse doesn't mean that the person who's terminating this individual or firing that individual doesn't have any things that they're struggling with or things like that. And when I talk about controlling agencies is who's that person that's making that decision, who has their thumb on that person? Why are they taking it? Why are they taking it that far? Why isn't offering that type of help to that individual? The first thing that comes to mind, like we need to fix that problem. We need to fix the, the issues of where people thinking that it's not okay to find out why somebody's having this problem. So a combination of creating that, that healthy environment again to where I can see these things coming a mile away. Like I, I need to understand what's going on with, with my folks. I'm not getting too personal, but people are creatures of habit. And so, man, that's, that's really tough because, you know, we always talk about the fire service being a family, you know, mm -hmm. do anything for you and, mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. And a, a perfect example is that is, my wife and I bought a, a rental property and what'd we do? We rented it to family. We wanted to help some people out. Everybody told us don't rent a family it causes trouble. Well, one element of our life, we're calling ourselves family. But in another element of our life, we're saying don't rent a family. Well, which one is it? Are we taking care of each other or are we not? So again, it goes back to individuals just making like some things are okay, but some things are not. So, man, I, those are, those are really tough questions that I think that company officers and, and chief officers and, and really administration and the individuals on the city council or the fire commissioner or whoever runs these funds, these fire departments, they really have to start looking at what type of environments that they want their employees to be in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to add because you, you, you mentioned that was actually going to be one of my questions with your background, right? Do, do you ever wonder to yourself, like what you went through 
in the past to become who you are today, it definitely speaks a testament. But you know there are there are naysayers out there. There are people who are just like, oh, just give it time. He's gonna slip up. He's gonna do one thing. Because I kind of relate to. So I I I am in the South. I'm in North Carolina. Um, I, I am Haitian American, and my wife is uh, white. She's from Pennsylvania. So I have been in certain instances where, and I'm not trying to play any card. Anybody that truly knows me, they know like my jokes are. HR would be like okay, send this guy in my office. Like we yeah. need to talk. That's how I am. I'm not going to go into detail, but anybody that knows me knows how I am. But like, I'll see the looks that we, that, you know, she, she's oblivious to it and it, it's no fault of her own, but like I watch things. So like we'll walk in somewhere and I'll see like uh, the look of, they'll ask her a question and then they'll look at me and they'll be like, do you need any help? And I'm like, no, I'm with her. And then you're like, oh, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I get that that subtle little look or whatever. And, and, and it's happened at least a couple of times that I can count on it on my fingers. But my question to you is, do you do you ever feel like that? Do you ever have that in the back of your head? Like the person that's shaking your hand, that's like, hey, man, you're doing great. You, you know, the, the little thing of the person that's kind of like they're shaking your hand in one, but they have a knife behind their back that you can't see. Does that ever go through your head? Yeah, I to answer your question, absolutely. And I wouldn't necessarily think that it comes from uh, s s my my past. I, I would think that uh, because of the way that I am with everyone, personally and and professionally, I think it. I think I, after the fact, I'm more hurt than anything from somebody I gave my trust to, or somebody that I was vulnerable with or transparent with. Um, that after the fact, it bothers me a little bit, but for that brief short period of time where I had some of those doubts, just initially getting into the fire service, like it went, it went back. I'll take it back to my personal life again. Like, man, like, I don't, I don't ever want to go back. I don't ever want to go through what I went through again. Right. So I learned to doubt my doubts and believe my beliefs. And now I'm, I'm 100% confident with who I am as a person, who I am as a husband, who I am as a father, and who I am as a fireman, a public servant. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many people that are holding a knife in their hand. Like, I don't care. I don't. That's so minute to the things that I am working on in my personal and professional life the things that I am trying to accomplish for my family and for the people that I serve. Like I don't have, I don't have time for it. Okay. Like, next, like uh, so I heard this thing one time. It's so funny. Every time I say it, it was like, there's the door. You can either come in or come out. Just don't block the door. Just don't block the doorway. You can okay. come in anytime you want. Mm -hmm. and you can leave anytime you want. Just don't block the door from other people leaving or other people coming in. I understood um, that. <laughs> no, that's that's I I understood the assignment, man. That's that's perfect. That's perfect. I like it. Okay, okay. Um, with that, I wanted to jump because this is one thing when I listened to the uh, the the Fit to Fight Fire podcast, man. Like at the end, I I immediately called my buddy Gilbert.
And I was like, this part here just got to me. It resounded so hard with me. The fact that while you were incarcerated, you had to, you mentioned you had to join a side. It is what it is. You yeah. know, Hollywood tends to blow it up. Oh, this is how prison life is. But coming, hearing it from you who actually experienced it, the one part that got me so hard was the fact that you mentioned gangs have physical fitness standards. Yes. Like it's, it was comical, but it hit me so hard that I'm like, we, we can't, we don't, I don't know if it's, we don't, but I don't know if, it, if it's the world that we in where we don't want to offend people. We don't want to say, Hey, you're a little bit out of shape, whatever the case may be. We're in a job where your health matters because your health correlates to your performance. And the fact that gangs have a an SOG or a policy where it is known when you're here, you will do this for a set amount of time, but we cannot get individuals or we cannot get departments to understand physical fitness should be a priority. That part, I'm telling you, it blew my mind when I heard you. And I know it blew John's mind because John's like, seriously and it's just yeah. it's wild like I, I want people to understand that yes uh I'm, I'm not trying to say fire department should be gangs i'm not trying to say that but what i am trying to say is gangs have a standard that you are expected to meet but yet we cater to individuals or we just go that's just how this person is let them sit on the couch they don't have to do anything it's okay well it's 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 it's, it's really simple if you don't work out in prison with whatever gang, at least the one that I was formerly a part of, like you get discipline. You get discipline. Meaning, if, if, for example, if you got caught sleeping when you weren't supposed to take a nap, if you got, if you didn't work out and somebody knew you didn't work out, then you would be disciplined in the form, some form of education. So, the, the gang would, they would educate, like you would get an extra assignment on top of your other assignments. Oh, by the way, you missed a workout. So for the next week, you're going to be doing double workouts. Um, and if that continues then you just kind of become a, a, a trouble maker. Right. And then in prison, it's really simple. They're going to try to kill you. Like you are a problem for our cause and what we're trying to accomplish. So People work out in prison because at any time with the prison politics, you could be at war with one other person or with 300 other people. Like people were working out every single day because if there's anything that ever happens with another race or another gang, you are fighting for your life. There's people in there that are never going home. They will hurt you and kill you and not lose any sleep over it. Well, let's take it to the fire service. Right. Like, if you don't work out, if you don't take care of yourself, there is an enemy out there that will kill you and not lose any sleep over it. There's people that are depending on you at work and at home. Mm-hmm. Well, Physical fitness, to me, I actually wrote this down uh, in the questions I had sent over to you. While I was in prison, 
there was always, this was while I was at the firehouse, there was six or seven other guys here and they were just super into like two or three workouts a day, right? Heavy weights trying to get as big as they could. I got up in the morning, I did my 45 minute workout and did my thing with training, reading, studying, all these different things. And one of them told me, Hey, you got to get bigger. Cause I'm not a big guy. I, you know, I weigh one, 160, 165, uh, with my turnouts on, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm a smaller guy, but there's a couple of things that I've always made a key point to everyone is that you got to be mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually strong and balanced. Like if I just work on my, my physical physique and try to bench press more than everybody that's at my station, but I don't know how to loosen a bolt left or right like that's a problem like if, if you can't remember where your smooth board cross lays at that that's a problem i don't care how much you can bench press mm-hmm. now if if you're not emotionally stable and mature then things typically at home are going to bleed over into your professional life and you're going to be called an a-hole because you cuss somebody out and it's not your behavior like that's a problem even if you can bench press more than everybody at the station and whatever religion, uh, spirituality, whatever it is, if that's not in sync with everything else that's going on, but you can bench press more than everybody at the station, it's a problem. So when we talk about fitness standards, you know, we have to ensure that we, we encapsulate what it means to be fit in every element of our life. Yes, physically, our job is really, 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 really demanding. But I don't think it's any more demanding than being mentally or emotionally in the game either. Like you got to be able to make quick split decisions, think clearly, like life and death. Like, again, if you can bench press more than everybody at the station, but you need to make a life or death situation right now regarding somebody else's life or your own, like, are you ready to make that decision with the education and with the training and with the knowledge and experience that you've been able to, to capture along those years? So I 100% agree with physical fitness. I mean, specifically for, for Cal fire, our, our, our department is primarily focused on the state mission, which is protecting over 43 million acres of state owned property on, in, in forest. So hiking Hills, I mean, you're hiking five, six, seven miles when, when we do our workouts, 50 pounds on our back, a tool, we're scraping hand line. Like we're doing a lot of different hose lays up elevation, you know, uh, 2000 feet elevation up to 5,000 on a two mile hike. You got to be physically fit. You got to be ready. And same thing with the structure side of things for our department is you, you, you really have to be fit across the board. You have to. Just, I mean, I, I, a hundred percent agree with everything you said, but I'm telling you, man, when I heard that, it's just, we have, I just don't understand individuals that come in there and just don't want to do anything, but then we'll tell you to your face, Hey, but don't worry when that, when that call comes out, I'll be ready to go. And they're like huffing and puffing or they're already done through their SCBA bottle. And it's like, what have you, what have we done? Like, I agree. You got to be mentally, spiritually, 
and definitely physically fit. Like you, all three of those, I think makes, makes an able body. But when, when we have individuals who just don't really, they don't care to work out their eating habits are garbage. Trust me. I like snacks like the rest of everybody else, but man, there's like the way I have programmed my mind. And I'm not saying it's right. I have to earn that though. Like I have to do something. There are days that I don't want to do anything, but I do it anyways. And I'm not saying you have to go out there and grind. You can't jump from zero to 100. You can't go from the couch potato to want to do a triathlon. That's not how that works. There's baby steps. But once you, there's, there's great satisfaction in putting in the work and then getting a call and noticing, hey, I'm not as tired as I used to be. Like, mm-hmm. I feel good in this air pack. I feel good in this gear. It's hot, but I'm not like wanting to take it off. You know what I mean? I'm just yeah. trying to get people to understand. You, you, I'm not telling you, you need to go out there and do some kind of crazy circuit or, or whatever the case may be, but just go out and do something. Like it is a part of the job. And I also correlated back to whenever you have Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, whatever it's called now, parents come in and you give them a tour of their station and then you talk about what we do and you're in your uniform they're looking at you the kids are looking at you but most importantly the parents are looking at the individual thinking because if you think about firemen for what hollywood portrays us as we're not all muscle bound but they're always usually 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 physically fit and when they see like you can't see your belt buckle because you're your belly overhangs or whatnot like that's a problem they they might not tell you that to their face but i'm sure they're thinking like this is the person that's going to come and save me if something happens yeah you know it's just it's it's... you know there's always this discussion like whenever this gets brought up on any podcast you always hear people go back and forth well the guy that smokes a cigarette every two hours and is overweight can outwork the younger guys and blah 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 right it's it's when, when, when I heard you talking about that, the first thing that came to mind was accountability. Accountability on the individual and the accountability on his supervisor and administration. What does that mean? So first things first, the accountability on the individual. So what type of example are you being for the people that are closest to you? Your wife, your kids, your brothers, your sisters, whoever it is that is closest to you outside of the job. What type of example are you being for them? Number two is when it comes to the department, for so long, that culture has been accepted. Right. Well, let's talk about it. But but we, we know that it's a problem. More people in the past three to five years have been bringing it up and starting to voice their opinion a lot more. And one of my assistant chiefs, he, he came to me and we were talking back and forth for a really, really long time about different things. And he was like, you know, in my position, I didn't know the position that I was in. I thought I knew it, but I didn't. Like I'm learning every single day. A lot of people come to me with problems. Like I'm looking for solutions, like bring me a solution. Mm -hmm. So when, when like John, like, that dude has revamped his entire department's fitness, uh, uh, physical fitness program. Like that dude has changed the trajectory of that department forever. Like those are solutions that we need 
for every department across the country, right? There needs to be physical fitness standards. There needs to be things in place from administration that support that individual in any capacity with staying physically fit to meet the job demands. And it's a two-way street. Like when those things are implemented and individuals start taking that accountability to be physical, physically fit, like things are better at home and vice versa. The thing, the problem is, is that we have people in those roles that are willing to um, either keep things the same or change them but they were brought up in that culture too. That was an, that was an acceptable thing back then when they were coming up. And so when I talk about changing, changing the fire service, some things will be able to change right now. Some things will be able to change, you know, five, 10, 20, 30 years from now. Well, until we get individuals who hold physical fitness as a priority into those positions that have the ability to make the change, then we're going to continue to struggle with a physical fitness standard. It's almost like playing the long game, right? Well, mm -hmm. it's almost like politics. You got the red and the blue, like people right. were fighting for seats, right? Right. Right. Like some people think that being a couch potato is completely acceptable in a fire service. And if they get in that seat, they're not going to talk about it or try to push the issue for it because they want new fire engines over healthy people. They want this nozzle package over lazy people. Like, mm -hmm. but you get somebody who's a little bit more, progressive a little bit more aggressive was like no forget those nozzles who cares what nozzles you have on the engine if you're not physically fit to move the hose and work the nozzle is the way it's supposed to be worked we got right. a problem right and it's just it's 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 one of those things to where individuals 30 percent of the fire service is the minority that wants all these different changes that wants to update their search policy that wants to update their hose and, and new rigs and more money, whatever the case may be, we're the minority. And as long as we keep being transparent and vulnerable and leading the way, like we'll become the majority one day. We will, we just have to have faith in that. We just have to continue to do the good work with, with leading and mentoring and succession planning and not being quiet about it anymore. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. And like, do, do your job, know your job. And, the performance standards are easy. You need to be able to perform this drill, this drill, and this drill in X amount of time, X amount of time, X amount of time, and do these things, or you will go into remediation. Mm -hmm. After remediation, you will be retested. And if you don't test, then I'm sorry, you'll be taken off the fire engine and you'll be placed on administrative leave until administration figure out what they want to do with you. Go sit behind a desk, go do pre-plans or something who cares, but like that needs to be the standard. Agreed. Agreed. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, I like how you stated for the, for that 30% to just keep pushing, keep going and just know things won't, it won't happen overnight, but as long as we can voice our opinions and of course you need to do it in a respectful manner. We just need to keep, we need to keep at it and hopefully change will, will, uh, will occur. So um, my last topic for you is uh, uh, being a true brother out there for our other brothers and sisters, whether it's spiritually, mentally, you know, we kind of talked about the physical portion, but uh, what's your take on actually being there for one another? 
so I think there's a fine balance. I had a conversation with uh with somebody in the city last night. I got off I got off work this morning and we were talking about um I have a I have a two and a half year old, I have a nine month old, and our my wife and I's kids, they've never spent the night over anybody else's house before because just mom and I we're not there yet. We, uh -huh. we the level of trust isn't there yet. Right. Uh -huh. um, and we had to work through a whole bunch of different things. And so when, when, when I hear that question from you, it takes me back to, I actually brought it up on my phone is results move at the speed of relationships and relationships move at the speed of trust. So if we want results, we need to first focus on the trust that we are establishing with the individuals that we are surrounding ourselves around. And for those of you that, that, that haven't listened to the scrap or, or John Sparrow's 55 fire podcast, you know, my mom was gone predominantly my entire childhood. And then I went away for quite some time when my mom came back. So, you know, my mom and I, we had to, we had to establish basically an entire new relationship and, um, for me personally, you know, I got to a point to where I really wasn't learning anything from my mom anymore and no fault to my mom. I love her to death. I'll do anything for her. But when my wife and I got together and we established really good morals and values in our household, and we said that we don't ever want our kids to experience what we experienced growing up. And we don't want our kids around individuals that are going to be um, nothing less than what we would expect of them to our children. And I, I take that same mindset and I establish it around the fire service. What type of individuals do I want around me? What type of individuals do I want influencing me? And what type of individuals do I want to go to battle with? And when, when, and I'll bring it together, I promise. So oh, you're good. with, uh, with, with my mom, you know, we laid out some clear expectations and boundaries before our kids spent the night over there. My mom stays with my grandparents, but we laid out some clear expectations and boundaries. Hey, if our kids are going to be over here, if anybody's going to come over to the house that we don't, that we don't condone of their lifestyle, the only thing we ask of you is to give us a call immediately and we'll make arrangements. Um, please keep them on the schedule. Please don't let them watch these things. Don't, they don't eat this type of food, blah, 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 blah. We, 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 we laid out clear expectations and boundaries. Why aren't we laying out clear expectations and boundaries in the fire service? Why are we just saying, hi, you're hired, sign all this paperwork. Your first shift is here. You go through this academy. Oh, by the way, two months in, gotcha. You didn't do this. Well, I, I, I didn't know. Well, we're still writing you up, mm -hmm. right? So laying out those clear expectations and boundaries with my mom. So, so they're really difficult conversations. I call them crucial conversations. Like you can either be quiet about it. And then something happened to my daughter while she's over there with my mom, or she did something or had something she wasn't supposed to have. And then I go back into my mom and say, well, why, why'd you let her have that? Well, I didn't know. Like, that's my responsibility as a parent. Like I, I laid out those clear expectations and boundaries. And if it does happen, then that's a different conversation. Well, you know, thanks mom for watching the kids, so forth and so on. Unfortunately, until we work on some, a few things, you know, my kids aren't going to stay over here anymore overnight, right? Or you won't be able to see the kids unless my wife and I are here. Well, why aren't we having these crucial conversations with our people 
Why aren't we establishing these healthy boundaries and expectations with our people? Hey, folks, I know. And it kind of falls into onboarding, too. So really being there for our people is setting them up for success, giving them the tools and the roadmap up front. We don't have all the answers, right? But we can say, hey, this is how we're going to onboard you. Just recently, I had to do some annual training with some individuals and I sat down with them individually. I made time for them. Hey, I went through the annual performance evaluation with them. I went over all the codes of conducts again. I don't know if your previous supervisor did this. I don't know if you ever even remember signing these papers when you were hired, but let me walk you through them and tell you what they mean. Do you have any questions about them? Does this bother you in any way? what I, I want to hear from you. And so I, I, I lay those things out. We talk about it. Then that just lets me know that you're fully aware of the documents that are in front of you. You're going to sign it. I'm going to sign it. The expectations and boundaries have been set. So when you cross that line, it's a different conversation, but I gave you all the tools that you needed to be successful. And of course, depending on what it is, there's different remediation or, or discipline things that you can do but when it comes to really being there for our people it's about bringing them on and giving them the best tools necessary to be successful in a career that's already demanding enough it's the same thing with parenting like I didn't have these things growing up I wasn't taught these things growing up like I had no father figure I didn't I didn't have no roadmap on how to be a father but I know how not to be a father Mm -hmm. I know how not to be on drugs again and what that lifestyle did to me. So the same thing applies to the fire service. Like you should have dealt with enough disgruntled employees, out of shape employees, undriven employees that you should know every way not to be an out of shape employee. Like I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. So there's not enough good employees. Um, kind of making it attractive like i was saying like right right the the, right. the balance is off and we we it we need to lead more by example and i know that everybody says that right well we need to lead by example well what does that look like let's just not say that we need to lead by example like like let's talk about what that looks like let's 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 build that vision out and and create that standard and expectation and then let's share it with our people mm-hmm. and let's give them the steps to get to that level you know, when, when, when you look at a, a fire department, you have, you have the minimum requirements to become a firefighter. You have, this is everything that you need to do to become an engineer. This is everything that you need to do to become a captain, right? Like it's detailed bullet points. Somebody mm-hmm. took a lot of time and effort to say, this is what it means to wear the red helmet or the requirements. Mm-hmm. Well, shouldn't we be doing that for everything else? Shouldn't we be saying, let's sit down with our folks and go over every single thing, ensure that they know it, uh, build that relationship, build that trust with that individual. So they never think that you're that person that's shaking their hand and holding a knife up. Like like we need to bring people on. That's how we take care of our people. And then we mentor them. We coach them along the way. Beautifully stated. So that a couple of times, but it's the truth, man. Like, I love the way, like I said, I know you've been on only for eight, eight years, but 
the the little nuggets, the gems, the truth bombs that you drop, man, it's 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 really refreshing. It really is. I I appreciate that you accepted this invite. We had this conversation today, Rob. I I, I truly do. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. I like, man, I'm just, I'm just another normal human being. Like but, just trying to be the best that I can be. That And that's, I mean, I know that's all I want for myself and that's all I want for others. Not trying to be selfish, but like, you know, your coworkers, you want to see the people you work with successful. You want to see your department succeed and things of that nature. Unfortunately, it just seems like this day and age, that's not always the case. But um, it is truly refreshing hearing an individual who has had experiences that I could somewhat relate to. And the fact that I know I'm not the only person that thinks this way or like, why doesn't my department do X, Y, Z, things of that nature. So I, I just want to say I appreciate you accepting the invite, man. Once again, coming on talking. No, no problem at all. I, I'm, I'll make myself available to, to, to anybody if, if time permits. One last thing that comes to mind is, is that, you know, the, I mentioned this earlier, like we're human before we're firemen. And so I think it's really important for everybody to understand is that this, the, the issues that we're having in the fire service, you know, they're a problem or, or, or they're an issue. And it's, it's no different than any other issue or problem that you have in your normal life. It's a roadblock. It's a, it's a hurdle. It's, it's a valley that you have to go through, whatever it may be. I think that your perspective on that issue and problem is probably the most crucial factor in whether or not that that problem consumes you or if you overcome that problem. If you see that problem that something is greater than or you see that problem as something that is overwhelming at that moment, you know, that problem and issue is probably going to stick around for a really long time. And I think that that's what the fire service has done with a lot of the things that people are starting to get more vocal about. And personally, like, there's no other way. I think one of your questions was, what do you think about the term aggressive? Right, right. right. I... I thought about that one really, really long. You know, there's there's different things out there on flyers for fire departments, and I'll just bring it back pers to to what 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 type of person are you? I think that you just can't be assertive all the time. So you got to be on a sliding scale. You gotta you gotta be able to read the room. You gotta be able to understand the environment that you're in. You gotta be able to know how to rope a dope right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in and out so there's times in 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 your personal professional life that you're going to be just a little bit more aggressive and there's times in your life where you're going to be a little bit more passive your assertiveness comes from your your da your daily routine your daily your daily duties uh, and and just kind of being disciplined and being assertive and knocking out all those things the key component to moving and swaying one way or the other, depending on what situation you're in, is having the mental maturity to understand and know when to be a little bit more aggressive and when to be a little bit more passive. You got to understand your audience, both in your personal and your professional life. You just can't walk into a city council meeting aggressive and saying, we need this, blah, 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 blah. It isn't going to go over well. 
And anybody that's that's married knows that you just can't come home and be like, why didn't you? Whoa, whoa. No, no, it just doesn't go over well. Right. You got to take the appropriate approach from the relationship that you have built over time with the right tone, with uh, the mindset that both people can come out of this winning. Um, as far as fire ground tactics, like I wouldn't necessarily call it aggressive. Mm -hmm. Like, do you ever see a running back not run aggressively? <laughs> like, do they run the ball timid, waiting right. to get hit by a 225 pound brick wall? Like, you are professional, perform at the very highest level possible. No exceptions. And we would have to stop telling people that you need to be more aggressive. Like, no, you need to be a professional. Like you are a professional fireman or woman. Be a professional. And uh, yeah, I think we should definitely end it off on that note. Uh, Thank you so much. No, man. So, like I said, Robert, I, I truly appreciate it. Uh, really good conversation, man. Uh, like I said, thank you. Thank you again. You're very welcome. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.